God can't bless who you pretend to be or who you compare yourself to. He can only bless you in the lane that was created for you. I feel that for somebody. You don't need no edge entity. You need boundaries. What? I don't need your likes. I don't need your validation. All I need is a God fighting for me that says all things, all things, all things. When I first saw the name Candace Marie Benbo, it was on a tweet. And this tweet was spicy and thoughtful and wise and convicting and upsetting. And I think that those are all of the emotions that are evoked when you open up yourself to a new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking is being challenged by those who are watching you learn in front of the world. Candace Marie Benbo is beautiful. She is intelligent and she herself is very spicy. I like that about her. She reminds me of myself. We do not agree about everything. There are probably some people familiar with her work and familiar with what I do and think, I don't think these two should get together. There are others who are probably thinking, finally, we can have a conversation that I've been wondering within myself. This is the beginning of what I hope will be many conversations with someone whose thoughts and belief systems are different from mine, but whose experiences and revelation resonate deeply with where I am. It's this oxymoron that we all have to deal with when we show up in the world authentically and connected to our neighbor. So check out this foray into sisterhood that I think will leave you more open and compassionate than you were before we began. Hey, girl. Hi, girl. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Candace, questions for you, okay? When we yes. talk about a woman and her power, can you remember the first time you felt powerful as a woman after all of the traumas and disappointments and uncertainties and insecurities we face, but to really feel settled and powerful in your identity as a woman? It didn't actually happen for me until I moved to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think, the decision to move to Atlanta and decide that I was going to just, like, move beyond all of the foolishness, all of the pain that was associated with my time in New Jersey. And I decided it was between New- it was between Atlanta and L.A. Um, the pandemic happened. Wow. And my grandma was like, you can go to L.A., but if you get sick, I'm not coming out there. So it was like, what what do I do then? Um, and then I also what also led me to pick to, to pick Atlanta was because I wanted a life. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to cultivate my professional career. But I also wanted the parts of me that I felt like got starved because I wasn't nurturing them. And I felt like I could in Atlanta have a personal life and nurse the other parts of me that are that need to be filled and whole so that I can really walk into the fullness of who I am. And I moved here and things began to like it's funny. I'll put it this way. There was a moment when I had like regular people troubles 
and I was excited. Like it wasn't the the complications mm. that would you know have me in bed for for weeks or months at a time. It wasn't like catastrophic loss and heartbreak. It was just the like I got I what am I gonna do this weekend? Like it was the it was that kind of like and I and I remember telling my friend I was like the bottom is here like I have a bottom now and because for so long I was just swimming and drowning and that was the moment for me that I said you made a decision that really did change your life wow and don't ever I actually wrote it in my journal and I, I have a gratitude jar and I put it in there and I said, don't ever forget what this feels like mm-hmm. because you can do it. And so I've had to lean on that. I've been here since, since um, September of 2020. But then I have been sometimes I have been like, OK, Candace, you can move in a pandemic like whatever this is, like you can you can get over that. too. But that I think that was the moment that I was like, I am in my power. That reminds me of my husband and I, once I remarried and we were like in a relationship and, you know, it's not that we have like this perfect marriage, but when you've been in some tragic, toxic situations, like the idea of when you're tired, you're grumpy and I don't like the way you talk to me then is Mm -hmm. completely different than when you are experiencing like some, like I'm about to go to jail. Like, (laughs) like I'm on my way to prison. And I, I just, I thank God for my husband for allowing me to have a bottom. Like you just expressed. It's so it's so funny that you said that that way because I've been working with the same therapist since January of 2016. And so when I got here, one of the things uh, that she told me, I, I was going from like zero to like a hundred yeah. when um, I was dating a guy and he didn't respond to a text message. Like this, this is literally what happened. But before, in those situations, they didn't respond to text messages because they was doing some stuff that they did not have any business going. And so I took her, I said, he's cheating. And <laughs> this is the end of the relationship. And he had, not only is he cheating, he has a family on the other side of town okay. that mm-hmm. I don't know anything about. She said, or he was at work. Or and I said, <laughs> I said, well, it was three fifteen when I when I text him. She was like, let's let him be at work. And I remembered when we talked about it two weeks ago, two weeks later, and he was at work and responded when he was able to. I told her, I said, there's something about having to remind yourself that you're not where you are mm-hmm. like that, that there, that it's okay. Like my friends have said to me before, like you don't have to keep waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's on your foot. Like you don't have to, you don't have to stay there. And I think that's the work that so many of us have done that even in our own work, we try to push other people to see that it's possible. Like you don't have to stay you can make the decision and make the shift and then just be grateful that like, I'm not 
swimming anymore. You know, I'm not drowning anymore. Yeah. I love what, what you said about swimming and drowning. There's a song by Banks that's called Drowning. And it used to be a song that I listened to on repeat. And it's like, I'm drowning for you. What was happening in your world that is the literal, I guess, definition behind those words, swimming and drowning? What were those experiences? Yeah, so when when my mom died, um, I'm an only child, and my mom was my only parent. And though we have a huge family, we were each other's immediate family and everything. And I had not ever, like, as an only child, anytime my mother would say to me, and I'm trying to to prepare you because one day I'm not gonna be here. I would start crying. I I don't want to ever think of or be in or live in a world that my mother was not in. Right. So um, she passed unexpectedly. Like we had a conversation um, the night before. She was talking to me about the the Paris bombings because that was the day that they had. Um, uh, was a a terrorist attack. We had a family member who was there. So she was telling me that she had got in touch with them and that they were okay. And then we were just talking. I spirit knew God knew that it was our final conversation, but I didn't. Mm. And I remembered when my mom died or when I found out my mom died, it was like somebody took the rod that was, holding me in place and just like yanked it out of me mm-hmm. and I didn't know where to go I didn't know what to do it was like I just was there and it took a long time for me to there are some losses that happened to us that are totalizing and I needed the room and the space to adjust to such a totalizing loss and it would have been okay if that was the only thing that was going on in my life at the time but I was in a doctoral program that wasn't trying to give me um and leave of absence um I was in a relationship that I had no business being in and he decided to move on and be with someone else I experienced sexual assault and um on a date um, listening to a friend who was like, the best way that you can get over a man is to get with a new one. Mm-hmm. And um, and all of that like culminated into this moment where my friends had to have literally take me to um to get help. Um because it was the difference between I had absolutely no idea what a day without deep, deep darkness looked like. And I don't know if I don't I don't know if people and I pray that everybody doesn't experience those moments, but something about experiencing such profound trauma and pain that you have absolutely no idea or belief that you will ever see goodness or light again. And I remember I was there, like, I was like, all of my best days are behind me. Like, like life cannot 
get any better. And that was the drowning that I had decided that this was as good as it was going to be, even if I wanted it to be better. It couldn't be. And so I remembered when I started therapy, those were the analogies that we used, that I was drowning and I couldn't feel my feet. And then when things got better, but they were still still sad and still difficult, we would she would say, Do you do you feel anything? Do you feel anything mm-hmm. under your feet? I'm like, Yeah, I feel I feel something like it's there, but it's not stable. And then when we worked more and, and got through some things, she was like, Where are you now? And I was like, I'm on land. Like I'm 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 on land. And so we used that analogy throughout my my time with her uh we go back to it now um thankfully i have the tools that i don't ever see myself getting to a point where i'm drowning again you know like like because you once you've gone through something like that and you actually do the work to 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 acknowledge it and to be better and to be well then you get to say hey these are some these are some triggers. These are some these are some experiences that are bringing other things back. These are some emotions that are familiar that I don't want to feel. And so that was really what we did. Like we we started with drowning because that was it was suffocating. It was just the weight of the weight of it all was just suffocating, and I couldn't do anything but just sink under the weight of it all. For years now, I've been vocal about the importance of taking care of my mental health, whether it was putting boundaries in place or doing mindfulness exercises. Tools I've learned in therapy have not only been beneficial for me, but everyone connected to me. When I take care of my own mind, heart and soul, I show up better for the people in my world. I want you to be mentally healthy as well, and it's possible with BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and One Evolve podcast with Sarah Jakes Roberts listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash evolve. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash evolve. I wish that I could have maybe heard this when I was in my own drowning season. I feel like I first started drowning probably when I got pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I think I spent, no, I know (laughs) I spent 10 years really drowning, like really, really drowning. And I feel like I started to swim. Look, now be my therapist. Okay, I feel like I started to swim <laughs> um, once I got divorced. And I really think I'm honestly just now coming to a place where I am on land with all of my possessions and like all of mm-hmm. my strength. Because the thing about drowning is that like you don't just lose 
yourself in the water. You lose right. all of these hopes and dreams and ideas yeah. and thoughts and trying to like pick up those pieces and see what I've lost while drowning is not an option that most people have. And so you get stuck in this survival mode. And I, I knew part of what the answer to that question was going to be because I've read your book. And uh, as a church girl, I feel like there are a lot of things that I was able to relate to. Um but I do think that like your church experience and my church experience like mm-hmm. are completely different. Yeah. Um man, so I got pregnant, right? But my parents and it sounds much like your mom. Like my parents were there for me. Um mm-hmm. they didn't shame me, which is a blessing that not a lot of you know, people or girls yeah. who grew up in church and ex- experience. I wasn't excommunicated. They didn't kick me out. Like they still held me close. We had to work through all kinds of disappointments and pain and trigger, but I never felt the loss of them. And then I also never felt the, the disapproval of our congregation fully. There were a few people who wanted me to get mm-hmm. up in front of everybody and apologize. There was somebody who sent me a blanket for my dad. They told me my baby was going to die and they sent me this blanket to wrap my baby in. And, but I was so drowning that like that, none of that stuff really mattered mm-hmm. to me because I was in such mm-hmm. a dark space. But the things I feel like when I heard your church experience, I was like, no wonder Candace went on her own journey of faith because mm-hmm. some of the stuff that people said directly to you, like not through a grapevine, not through right. a, I don't know exactly what they said, so I'm not going to accuse them of it. Like the things that people said directly to you, I think would have made me question my faith as well. But you've gone on this journey from like church hurt into mm-hmm. purpose and still maintaining this aspect of faith like can you tell me about that yeah it was this um I it's so funny because I feel people I wouldn't I was never uh, my mama would my mama would say that um the one of the one of the truest and um uh, reliable verses is train up a child in the way that they should go. Um, because in this moment and in this kind of space, I don't think that there was ever a time when I was not going to be connected to church, right? Like my mother felt me kick there. Mm-hmm. And the first time my mother felt me kick was in a church called Mercy Seat. And she, Mercy City Holy Church, she she had decided that she was not going to stand up and apologize for being pregnant with me and knew what all of that would, would entail. And then also she was considered the, the one in my family that would do everything right. And she was 26 when she got pregnant with me. Um, But it was as if, I remember her telling me, like, it was as if she thought that you would have thought that she was young Mm -hmm. um, the way that that my family reacted. And so I spent a lot of time um, hearing things that were really rooted in people disappointment that my mother did not fail Mm. and um, my mom would always say to me she said they can't get to me anymore 
So they're trying to get to. And so it was years later before I realized people are intentionally saying things to hurt a child (laughs) because they want, they don't want to see her mother as confident and as polished and as, as resilient as she is. But as a child, you know, that stuff hurt, you know, um, to be used as an example in Sunday school of what it means to be a child out of wedlock um, to this day still sings. Um, To hear so many sermons about women's about women's dedication and devotion to God and that single mothers and women who have children are in these heartbroken circumstances because they didn't they didn't know how to how, how to wait on God. I'm looking at me like, well, technically, I'm the product of not waiting. So, so you're sitting here, you know, telling me that mother would have just loved God more then I wouldn't be here and and she would be okay. And so I spent a lot of time devaluing myself, one, in relationship to God and two, in relationship to my mother, feeling like I had somehow like spoiled her, feeling like, you know, I, I had cheapened her in a way. And, and, and internalizing that as a kid, right? And and not having the words, the courage, the strength, all of those things to be able to say, like, this is this is what I heard in church. This is what I heard at home. This is what I heard at the cook family cookout. And this is how it's making me feel. Um, for for a long time, instead of the just developing the natural inquisitive behavior that my mom nurtured in me, especially when it came to faith and when it came to, to the learning and asking questions, I combine that with just kind of this like shame that like, I, I didn't get to, I didn't get to love and know God deeply because of the origins of my birth. Like, and it's wild because so many people who were born in church, who were born and raised in the church, and have these salacious, I would say, um, birth circumstances, there are parts of us that have trouble sometimes reconciling our identities with what we hear. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I, I got, to, I went to graduate school and then went to seminary and then began to work with pastors, had conversations with them about, have you ever thought about what this sermon sounds like to a kid who does not have both parents? Have you thought about what this sermon sounds like to a woman who for whatever reason, had to terminate a pregnancy. Um, And more times than not, they would be like, no, I haven't. Then I would share like, okay, well, these are some of the the sermons I heard when I was a kid. They're very much in line with what you are saying. And this is how it made me feel, right? Um, 
a lot of times it's just conversation where when you when you tell it and you hold them accountable, it's oh I didn't know. Thank you for thank you for for holding me there, and I'll I'll work to do better. And then sometimes it's just that people are so entrenched in an ideology that they don't care. Um, you know, I was thirty three when my mom when my mom died, and pastors literally came to my house. I'm about to bury my mother and a pastor came to the house and asked me if I knew whether or not she had, she finally repented for me. I got to bury my mama. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I have to bury her and you are asking me if I know whether or not she, she finally said that having me and getting pregnant was a mistake. 60 years old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it like the kinds of conversations that had I not been in a better place, um, to know that like even in the midst of grief, that him saying that was foolishness, there's no telling where that could have taken me. You know, had I not had friends who who literally, you know, one of my uh my college suite was there with me. And um, she was like, you know, thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, thank you. We will definitely see you at the service and usher him right out the house and then send everybody a text message and like nobody sees Candace today or tomorrow. Um, had I not had that and people to just hold me in that space, there's no telling what I would have heard, you know what I'm saying, or done. And I think, and I'll say this in, in closing, like part of church hurt is the fact, and this is one of the things that I wish people got, but we sometimes don't get it, is that though church is fallible, right? Though, though it is made up of imperfect people, there's a certain expectation of care that that we assume and that we believe will be present because we are talking about people's spiritual lives and spiritual health and, and what it means to be like Jesus in the earth. And there are times when we've done something that has wounded people so much that they literally leave because they cannot fathom what it is like to be in a place that is so professing to be committed to the teachings of Jesus and being like him, that this kind of hurt could take place. And I, and I think what has to happen in those instances, not a disregarding of, of, of what it was and to the whole, like, we're not perfect, but, but to acknowledge and say, some of the ways that we have gone about teaching and some of the ways that we have gone about preaching has wounded and, and we were wrong. But what I can say is that if you partner with us and if you journey with us, it doesn't mean we may not get it wrong again, but in the community of each other, we can love and hold each other accountable and move towards reconciliation. I think there are so many people who've been hurt by the church who want to hear that, 
but because they hear the other one of like, well, people aren't perfect and your, your boss get on your nerves and say crazy stuff to you, but you don't quit going to work, you know, that pushes us away from the real meaningful moments of saying like, yeah, we didn't get it right and it hurt you and we're sorry and let's try to fix it. You know, it's not a lot different than how we see people respond to the police violence that we see played out in our communities in which people are like, there's a few bad apples or, you know, not every cop is that way. But the cops that are bad apples and the cops that are that way are the ones we're trying to have a conversation about. I think that um, I think there's a pride in our faith communities, particularly in church, that keeps us from mm-hmm. being willing to say, I messed that up. And and we don't have a lot of grace for each other. So that yeah. pride, I think, is so dangerous. I think it's part of the reason why even, you know, what I've seen God do in my life in attracting people to, you know, woman evolve. I think a lot of it has to do with this idea of I'm not perfect. Like I'm telling you up front, here it is. I'm not perfect. You're going to be mad yeah. at me some days. I'm going to try and fix it. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to hop my yeah. way into the next thing. I think people want permission both honestly from the platform and in the pews to not be perfect and to be able yeah. to still be received in that way. I think what you said is so powerful, but that position of leadership and authority does require a level of humility that doesn't exist. Do you think that black titles and in the church are so meaningful that the idea of offending someone or doing wrong from that position keeps them from showing up in a way that would be humble enough to say those words that you just said? Like, does this title mean so much to me that I can't allow you to see my weakness or my anger or my disappointments? I don't think it's just that it means so much to them. I think it's because it means so much to us too, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you think about um, the origins of the Black church, um, it was rooted in this in this place for us to be safe together, right? And to, and to be able to commune with God and commune with each other outside of the day and away from the dangers of white supremacy and the racism of the, of the moment. And, you know, my grandma still talks about the fact that like, it was beautiful to be at church and where a man was called boy outside mm-hmm. of the four walls. He was Deacon Green. He was Deacon Johnson. He was Trustee Williams. Like she talked about um, in in her home church, um, childhood church, Shiloh Baptist Church, of the pastor. He's the pastor of one of the most important, biggest churches, black churches in Winston-Salem at the time. But a white man called him boy in front of his own church. And my grandma never forgot that and and what that felt like to hear and what that meant for her to see and then she said and then he went in there and she said and he preached down the holy (laughs) boat and she i mean to hear her talk about it so there's something about the ways that that the black church reinforced and restored black dignity 
in moments and in, and in spaces where larger society work to destroy it. And we still have that. Right. So like they like those are the parts that even with the pandemic where we are where folks are not being able to go to church the way they they used to, the way the pandemic has caused a lot of churches to have to close their doors Mm -hmm. is heartbreaking because black church in all of its iterations has been a space where black dignity and black pride could flourish, even when it was complicated and even when they was trifling, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so you have this moment where we look at you with a certain respect Look at you and we have bestowed a certain authority into you and we have given you permission and access to speak spiritually into our lives. That's a heavy responsibility. And I do think that unfortunately in those contexts, we've not given pastors a lot of room to be human. Um, one, because the expectation is like you preaching to me about my foolishness <laughs> and getting myself together. I don't need you to be having it too. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And that's not fair, right? Um, so I think that it's this, it's this both and because we know that just as soon as a it's unfortunate because too often it's not a confession of needing prayer when and congregations find out about their about pastors is usually them being exposed, yeah. right? So then that brings its own kind of, of tenor and texture to the situation. But I do think that it is this it's this ex- unrealistic expectation that's placed both ways because we don't have many places in this world. Yeah for black people to be revered, like for you to just be, there are times when I am in church before we left for the pandemic, where I am in awe of someone singing, you know what I'm saying? Like you ever heard somebody sing in church because everybody got, every church got at least one (laughs) and you are like in any other context, in any other world, this voice, would be heard everywhere, right? The opportunities that they would have would be endless. But because we're in the situations and circumstances that we're in, the ability for them to have the opportunities are not there. And so Black church gives us the opportunities to thrive and flourish in meaningful ways. And I think instead of often leaning into that and fully celebrating that we haven't, I'm guilty too. We placed unrealistic expectations on the ones who actually do need us to give them a lot more grace than what we do. Oh, Candace, home of word. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Candace, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where we go from there. Um, well, I mean, obviously I am, you know, T.D. Jake's daughter and Mm -hmm. I know very well the tightrope that 
you are expected to walk on in order to be this perfect reflection of what is being preached on Sunday and the tension Mm -hmm. of knowing that I'm going to fall at any moment. And I think Mm -hmm. that one of the things that I really wanted to do when it just became clear that, you know, people were going to be attracted to the way that I speak or to the way that I write is to really be transparent about my own journey and my own struggle because I don't want to get on the, like, I don't want to be on your tightrope. And I think the times that I feel the most discouraged as a pastor and a preacher are those moments where it's weird because like, on one hand, I don't want to be on your tightrope, but then when I do something that disappoints you know, the more traditional people, like I I carry that with me. Um, Even if it's just a mistake or like I had a misslip when speaking, I went to quote one scripture and quoted something else and that mixed them together. And then there was this whole dialogue about sound doctrine in my comments. And I just, it makes me not want to do it at all because it's like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm practicing in front of the world. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I am practicing with everyone watching and trying Trying to really come to terms with my own grace and compassion for myself without breathing that in is really challenging. And I can only imagine for you because you are completely open and exposed about your thoughts and ideas in a way that I think is really courageous because I don't that's not my ministry like God does not (laughs) call me to put my thoughts out onto the internet but you do not mind sharing things that are going to ruffle feathers you don't mind talking about somebody's favorite pastor you don't mind talking about what's happening in the headlines and not just like to your friends I mean to the world everybody and then you get the hate and do it anyway what is happening what to tell me so it's so it's so funny because I think the work um, somebody asked me uh, before they were like, are you called to preach? And I was like, I'm not called to preach as much as I'm called to words. Like mm-hmm. I think that that um, I knew I was always going to write. I was called to writing um, before I knew anything. Like I knew pen and paper and my thoughts were um, were where I was. but. In college and in grad school, it really began to crystallize to me that the work that I was really called to do was 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 the work of a theologian. Like, how do we think about God and the world, right? And how, and specifically in the context of Black women, how do we think about ourselves, God, the world around us, and the relationship all of them have together? Right. Um, And and it has been this space of having conversations and dialogue and doing work that I that theologians do about creating concepts and and thinking through theological terms and thinking through like, what does this look like? Um, I think what's different um, is that. One, we've always had men who are at the center of of a theological conversation and inquiry, and particularly in our in community in our communities, like that is the work of of largely has been black men and black male pastors. And who do you think you are to come and say like 
So, like, we actually need to think about this for the context of it instead of not just it being foolishness, but like, what are the broader implications of this? Um, that is not well received. Like, I mean, I had a, a group doing a three hour YouTube live refuting me. Like, they took everything they could find off the internet and like for point talked about how I was wrong and how um, I am uh, you know not only leading people astray but destroying doctrine and destroying gospel um, the gospel and you know I watched it and was like oh this is interesting um, one because when we most people don't know like these are the very same conversations that happened in the, the 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 church councils that give us the doctrines that we believe, right? That like that these are conversations that happen and need to take place, but very often because it's me and I'm a black woman, and because I am not afraid to say like it's no foolishness, you know, that, that it's a different, it takes a different tenor and a different level. Now behind closed doors and behind, behind the scenes, like the conversations that I'll have with pastors are funny. Like they will, they will say like, I do not want to be ever in your crosshairs. I don't. <laughs> and I'm like, well then don't do nothing foolish. And then I, I, we won't have to be right. But we laugh about that. But, but then the bigger conversation that I have with them is that, at the end of the day, for me, it is about encouraging Black women, especially, but women in particular, to, to recognize that they don't have to surrender a certain authority about their relationship with God to someone else, right? That, like, God is in, in an authentic, real, developed healthy relationship your partner is going to speak to you first about whatever it is that like you're not gonna they're not gonna call your sister and be like can you tell her so and so and so what she does da, 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 da. it's not gonna throw you off right like and so what I tell women and what the work that I try to do is how do we work to foster healthier relationships with ourselves and with God so that when we hear things, right? So that when those tapes begin to play over and over and over in our heads, then we can be honest and say these, these thoughts, these, these things that I hear in sermons or these things that get projected on me don't reflect the God I know to be true. And that's a and that's a lot of that's heavy lifting. The other the other part of it, and I'll, I'll stop here. But the other part of it is that we cannot ignore and negate the ways the theological doctrine, scriptural interpretation, and development of social mores and the the cultivation of morality impact women and girls right so like there are ways that how we frame scripture how we talk about god how we talk about the divine the religious in any in any space right how faith conversations 
take place and take shape and take root directly impact the work and the the work that girls and women believe that they can do and the way that they see themselves in ways that we that this that this, the data and experiences tell us do not bear out with boys and, and men. And so because of that, we have to challenge the ways that doctrine is harmful because then there are generations of girls who grow up stunted, not because they can't do it, right? Or not because they don't have access to it, but because they have believed a lie. And it's not a lie that is rooted in anything other than the fact of what it means for for certain people and places and institutions to maintain power. And so I have, my mama told me when I was little, like she, she says I came out giving my, uh, out of her, giving my little finger to the world. I was and born my to picture, suggest. <laughs> on, on my big picture, it's the other finger. It's not the middle finger. But <laughs> when they were, when I was coming out, they couldn't tell which one was which. And so she said she knew then that I was going to be a mess. Um, and, and my grades, conduct grades, and the fact that my teachers, I was in first grade, and my teacher pinned a note in my shirt that she didn't need me teaching her class. Mm. And she didn't need me telling her what she wasn't doing right. And my mom said, I knew then that you would be a force to reckon with. And I think it's just also to her credit that like, I, I, I saw women, I saw powerful women growing up. Um, I saw them challenge the sexism and patriarchy in their particular career fields. Mine just happens to be in religious institutions, but it was what I saw, you know, growing up. And I mean, we here, so I guess it's, (laughs) I guess it paid off in some way. One way to keep the New Year positivity going is through Audible. Audible has created a destination for complete well-being that delivers inspiration, encouragement, and actionable steps no matter what your goals are. At audible.com slash well-being, Audible editors have curated a range of self-development categories from mastering your emotions and improving relationships to getting in shape and finding more success at work and home. Among the listens are brand new titles from some of the most inspiring original voices in the genre, including renowned music producer and performer Major, who offers Major Frequency, a revitalizing journey into the healing power of music. Listening opens up a world of opportunities for discovering insights where you are, and these titles can give you confidence and the motivation you need to build the life you deserve. Start your free 30-day trial from audible.com slash well-being. It's so funny because I think that like people who encounter your work are probably going to feel similar 
I think there's probably three groups of people who encounter your work. And I think it's similar to people who encounter what I do. And I don't think it's necessarily because we believe all of the same things, because I know we right. have some departures. But I think they're either like, finally, I'm home. She's speaking what I've been thinking or like, I'm going to dip my toe in the water, but I don't know where this is headed. Mm-hmm. Or that girl going mm-hmm. to hell if she don't get it together. Hell. Literally. <laughs> and hell. Uh, well, and I know that you don't even believe in it, so they don't have anywhere to send you. Um, but I felt like <laughs> with somebody's listening, like, wait, what? Pause. Listen, um, I don't necessarily want to get into the ways that we depart in our belief systems. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe for someone that would be helpful. But I don't think that that's going to be helpful for the context of us speaking. One, because I feel like that's worthy of a much longer conversation than can take place in a podcast yeah. and is worthy of relationship, not necessarily like this wrestling. But I do think that we have to learn to be in relationship, connection, communication with people who hold different beliefs and philosophies than we do. And to do that with a level of respect and a level of room and grace that doesn't make the conversation adversarial, how important is it to you to have conversation with people who, you know, we connect where we connect and we walk together in the areas where we can. And then in the areas that we can't, we, we navigate. What is that like for you? Um, that's every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if you, it's so funny because if you were to ask all of my friends, they would tell you that I am the most, um, the the most extreme liberal in my faith in our faith formation like not I'm the only one of my friends who don't believe in hell um I have a theological argument for it um but uh and and some of them were in seminary with me and they were like we read those books too and it's a hell you know <laughs> like, like, so 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 we have we have those conversations um, what have what has also been um, really important to me? I have a friend who he is complete and total opposite spectrum theologically for me. And if he was here, he would tell y'all I pray for her every day. Like I like he like he he tells me when he's like you you posted something and then one time you turn my plate down for the next twenty four hours because I got to I if you get it in. I at least want you to try to get in off of off of my face. I like whatever, <laughs> but we have conversations in which um, it's one help to shape me theologically uh, because the truth is that even as I do this work, yeah, it's the three the three groups. At some point, all three of them are going to read something, whether whether it's a blog or whether it's a book or they're going to listen to a podcast or they're going to watch a video. They're going to encounter. They might stay. They might they might not. But how how do I formulate arguments and conversations that at least are are acknowledging that they are present? Um, and that they're there and that we're in, that we're inclusive in, in the space. And so those conversations for me happen every day, you know, like um, writing, writing theology and having conversations with my friends and where we like wrestled with, with theology, wrestle with how I see the text, um, the ways that 
I I approach scripture are different than a lot of my friends. Um, what where we land um, is that we we know that the other um, is loved and is called by God, and that Jesus is the root of each of our lives. Um, when we can't agree on nothing else. We know that to be fact, right? That like um, that that is that that is where we are. Um, I think what is the danger, though, is that often we're in a, especially in the moment that we're in now, where I think so many people are trying to come to terms with faith um, outside of Western European constructs and and uh, and white context that very often there's this extreme resistance to the other right where like you know there are that if you believe this then you obviously are not saved and if you believe this then you have sold into a certain level of whiteness and and i want to do with you anyway and that is what uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Katie Geneva Cannon, who was one of the pioneers of womanist theology, before she died, uh, we had a conversation about a year or two before she passed. And she was like, don't do white folks work for them. And the ways that Black people can often um, tear each other apart and be divided is the work of of supremacist structures, right? And so I tell people all the time, like I I have some fundamental non-negotiables and it is to see the humanity of all people. Um and and we may how you how you get to how you get to certain ways to see you know people's humanity you might still diverge when it comes to how they live into their identities and how they love. Um, we can have conversations about that, right? But like there there has to be for me, it's kind of working non-negotiables of like that you gotta be able to see the image of God in everybody. Mm-hmm. And you've gotta make room for the fact that even if I don't agree, <laughs> um, even if I don't get it, that people have a right, the agency to to engage their lives in the way that they choose. I mean, there are friends that that I come to and I'm like, go get it together. Like what is, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, because I know that that wit, even though they have justified a thing, <laughs> doesn't make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make it make sense for who they are and who I believe God has taught them to be. And that's relationship. Like you know, um, it's so funny because when I when I did the the um, cover story and um, it came out, your cover story for Hello Beautiful, many people who they be how is she like how how is she really cool like you know like it's this idea right that like that these kind of like these labels of I call us like, like mystery misfits that like don't fit into these like traditional boxes too often 
people don't realize like we are just as deeply committed to our to what sustains us as anybody else you know like i i i started and ended every day with a hymn you know like there there are times where i know what it means for me to have to turn my face to the wall and to and 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 to have a a strong clear everything out of the way it's just got to be me and jesus right now like i got it i can't hear from nobody else i gotta hear from him um moments and unfortunately we we have lost the ability to honor that all of us are at most and at best are yearning and walking and following a man who only wants humility and authenticity from us like he only wants us to be human right that like that that means I don't mess up that that means that I, I don't claim to know everything or get it right like I tell people all the time I may get to to heaven and God'll be like okay, now you were saying a lot of stuff down there. And <laughs> I don't know where you got half of it from. <laughs> you know, like that, that is, that is a true reality. And at the same time, I tell people, I, I, I would hope that I'd be like, well, God, I did say some stuff, but I hope that you, you honored that, that, that what I was saying ultimately was to make the kingdom more expansive to include people that feel like they are outside of it um to to combat and i just feel like i feel like the the places where i may believe that i am right and i may learn in glory that i was wrong that i will still it'll still be counted good because my heart and my intentions were um and that also doesn't negate the fact that there are times where I'm in, where I, I have a moment with God and God's like, what you just did or what you said, that wasn't me. And I had to go back and be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I said that I was, I, and I think that that is what it means to model gracious accountability. Um, and I, and I try to do that in real theology. God, like I told all my business yes ma'am <laughs> all of it <laughs> I saw all of my business because part of it was like I can't hold the church accountable I can't talk about the ways that the church as an institution misses the mark um if I'm not willing to be very honest and transparent about the things that I have missed it and the way that I will miss it because I'm human so, and, and what does it mean to model that kind of gracious accountability so that people can do that in their own lives? Um, but yeah, like I, I think people, people will be surprised and have been surprised when they get to know me or when they see like my friend circle and last when my friends are like, I don't know, half time what she's talking about, you know, but like. <laughs> But they also honor the work that I do as a scholar and a theologian to have these kinds of conversations that are important to have in certain spaces and that they and they support that. Um, even if they don't 
even if we, like you said, there are are departures. Um, And those departures don't mean that we cannot still walk together because we do. Um, Those departures make both of us stronger in our relationships and and help me to see my growing edges as much as it helps them to see theirs. But yeah, I I think uh, here, I think I would hope that we are we are coming into a moment where there is room for more sisters like I say that. Like there like I remember going into writing relative theology and telling my publisher and telling my editor, like I don't want people to I don't want to write a book that has me stand in opposition to the church because there would be a lie, right? Like, and I don't want a book that makes me sound like, like the way that people are, have written off the church and who have these very antagonistic relationships with Christianity and, and with the church, black church. I don't want a book like that. Like I want a book that's honest. Right. And I want, I want a book that, that reflects what I've experienced and what other may have experienced and that, and that honors the journey that some of us had to go on to distance ourselves from that stuff so that we could come into a deeper relationship with God so that we could go back into healthier relationships with the church. Um, but I remember feeling like that, like telling them, like, I don't, I already am isolated <laughs> and I'm already exiled in a lot of places. I don't want a book that that reflects or justifies what people have already assumed of me. And mm-hmm. so I, I was really concerned about that when the one before we even started. And I'm so grateful that um my Pusher Convergent as well as my editor Portia really walk with me through a process. Um, she would, when I would write something, she would ask clarifying questions. Um, and she would say, okay, now you, this sentence do say, do, do sound like you, you know, you throwing them all away. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not what I meant. Right. And so, so it was a process. And I think the reception has been, which, I mean, it's a whole, den- I, it's a denomination. We just got a note a couple of weeks ago that um, the women's department of this denomination adopted Relic Theology wow. for March. And so they sent a note and was like, we're ordering a book and we're sending it to every woman that's in the denomination. And I remember I responded, I said, y'all, y'all do not cuss in it, right? Just FYI. I was like, I know we met this. I was like, but I just want y'all to know. I was like, I do talk about some stuff. And they were like, you know, we read it. I was like, okay. I was so like, that for me was, and, to, and, and then to have pastors and, 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 and ministries come to me and say, I really appreciated this book. Um, uh, a pastor uh, sent me a, a video. I didn't even know him, but he sent me a video from a sermon that he did. He, he quoted, he, he cited and quoted a part of the book. And I was so grateful 
because I said, all of these people don't agree with me and, and they, I, and they won't. And I, I didn't write a book so that everyone wholesale agree with me. But the fact that people were able to read it and know that like, she, she is still one of us. Yeah. She's still committed to the church. She still cares about the church. Um, that was, that made, that made the whole process of writing it worth it to me. Mm-hmm. Candace, I feel like I could talk to you forever because like the, the it just keeps happening. Um, we have to do something. I, I feel know. like I feel like the Red Lip Theology crew and the Lemonade Bob crew one a lot of them are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I do think one of the things that's in, that has not happened that I would love to figure out a way to happen is the kind of conversation that a podcast does not make room for. Yeah. Right. So, so, so those departures, like, I think, I think we don't have those conversations enough to be like, well, this is what I think. Okay. Well, this is what I think. And this is how I got here. And this is, and, and that it's not this conclusion that has to be gathered, but the only places that I've seen those conversations happen are in the academy, right? Mm-hmm. Like where they're the kind of theological discussion where they're inside are there. I've only seen that happen in the academy. And when I think about relative theology, I think about the sisters that I encounter and I engage, a lot of them have questions and they're like, how did you get there? Like, Okay, I I track with you right here, but I still want to agree, and th- like, and and those lead themselves to much more authentic, fuller conversations that I've been telling people. I I don't think that a that the digital space gives the kind of um, I, there's a certain level of intimacy yeah, that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And safety when we have those. And so I've been, I mean, I've been thinking about it, you know, for a while. And I was telling one, one girl, like, she was like, I would love for you to do like a red lip theology retreat. And I was like, well, girl, you got to be vaxxed and, <laughs> and boosted. Cause I can't, I, I can't be out here. Y'all, y'all get me. <laughs> but I, but when she said that, I thought about specifically for what you were just thinking about, like, what does it look like? for sisters to get together and have conversations about the divergences yeah. and to have, and, and, and to know that you can have the conversation and we're not going to leave the room and not be sisters, not going to leave the room and, and, and have this antagonistic relationship. Like there's going to be respect for, for what you say, there's going to be respect for what I say and our experiences get lifted and honored together. But I do think that we're at a moment and we're at a time where those kinds of conversations, we need to have them. And so I've been, I have been thinking about what that would look like. 
Okay, listen, if you've been following me on the socials, then you know I've been working out and eating healthier. I love cereal, though. And thanks to Catalina Crunch cereal, I can still enjoy a bowl or eat it dry whenever I want. And I am good for going into that bag to get some dry cereal. It's one of my favorite things. It tastes great. It's keto friendly, which means it's low in carbs and has zero sugar, a quadruple threat that we love to experience. Okay, there are eight flavors. My favorite is cinnamon toast. Is giving what needs to be gave. Catalina Crunch is a great replacement to any sugary cereal for you or your kiddos. Just go to CatalinaCrunch.com slash evolve for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. That's CatalinaCrunch.com slash evolve. Not sure which flavor to start with? That's all right. Try a variety pack and check out their delicious cookies and snack mixes while you're at it. The numbers don't lie, sis. Catalina Crunch has over 10,000 five-star reviews. Be in the number by going to CatalinaCrunch.com slash evolve for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. You're really fortunate in that your mom really modeled that level of freedom of thought for you because I think Mm -hmm. that my family system and I think the family system of a lot of people kind of force this way of thinking on you and if you don't think this way then you run the risk of no longer being a part of the community and so I've had my own like pulling and wrestling and you don't know how to talk to people so I'm not going to talk to you no more within my own family Mm -hmm. system that I think has finally given me a space of autonomy and strength and independence in my own thought that I feel like I can settle into it but I think a lot of people are afraid to receive what God gives freely, which is free will, <laughs> free free will mm-hmm. to think, free mm-hmm. will to ask questions. And so I think that people do want to see, like, how do I have these conversations and still stay in community? And it does have mm-hmm. to be modeled. And I think I do think that this is the beginning. Um, I know that people yeah. are going to like be that they know you and they know me and they'll be like, what is this going to be? <laughs> Somebody going to be like, y'all, you betrayed the code. Why would you sit down with them? And then there's going to be other people. I think the majority of people are going to appreciate hearing that it's possible, that it's possible to have loving, respectful, honoring conversations and to know that the conversation continues. And so we got a text about how the conversation continues. I'm with it. It has happened and, um, and I'm I'm excited. You have been um, somebody who I have, and I told you this uh, privately, but you've been somebody who I've, I've watched and felt close to even before we connected. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, to, to get to know that I have, have um, one, just confirm what I always thought about you, mm-hmm. uh, two, has just been really endearing to me. Um, and I'm grateful for that and so you know I am really the hot stuff in my in my group chats because I know you so like <laughs> uh, that is like my plug I was like what y'all what y'all doing today oh y'all at work well let me tell y'all how <laughs> so like it, 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 it's just been a joy and I look forward to the ways that I think um that it, it will continue not just for just for us and 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 the the relationship we're developing but for for sisters who look to us yeah um 
And I want to figure out what that looks like to model those kind of conversations. And who are also looking for a certain level of just transparency as it relates to what it means to be in spaces and that the it does not have to look the same. It doesn't have to look the same. We're not out here trying to make copies of ourselves, but we are trying to say that what what does it look like to be free in who you are and journey towards that and be free and deep in in, in the relationship that you have with God and thrive there. Where to come back full circle to what you said at the beginning, like I I am at a place where I've never been in my life where I know I am thriving mm-hmm. and it is all because the relationship I have with God and the relationship I have with myself are rooted in truth and integrity and honesty, respect and love. And you can't, it don't mean that there aren't days that make me be like, huh. You know, um, but I am thriving, and I, 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 I never thought that that was. I never thought the kind of freedom I have in myself possible. Um, and when you get here, you just want to give it to everybody. Yeah, like, you just want to give it to everybody. Um, and so it doesn't. I still got. I still got growing edges, and I still got ways places to go and, and, and other things to grow into, but I'm free. And to say that right now, looking back on, on a time when I was not is the most, is the most amazing thing. Pause. Like that's finger snaps. We're done here. We're checking out. That was beautiful. I hope you listen back at that part of it because that's an ode to yourself that is worthy of hearing over and over again. So thank you. Thank you, girl. Thank you. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to slide into the text messages and we're going to figure some things out. Okay. I'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Child, listen, I have not said child in a long time, but that was worthy of a child. Wow. That last part that Candace shared about where she is in her journey, I think, is the hope that I pray every woman experiences, that we get to this place where we look back at our journey and our story and we see the power in it. We see the conflict. We see the trauma. We see the areas where things got weird. But then we also see those moments of salvation. Thank you, Candace, for sharing your story with us. Uh, I feel like I know you better and that because I know you better, I also know a piece of my myself better as well i hope that this blessed you the way that it blessed me child send us a note or a comment let us know what you think about this episode while you're at it i want to talk to you i want to know your story i want to know about your swimming your drowning you're standing on the land send an email to podcast at womanevolve.com maybe you know a woman who has a story and she won't tell her story force her to tell her story send us her information we will call sis and tell sis come be on the podcast if you want to advice questions send it to podcast at womanevolve.com you know what it is we not new to this we true to this i'll see you next week